All right, let's take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing along in the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sub-series of written so that you may believe, that we might see and know Christ more deeply and see Him in the Gospels uh, beautifully, and we would come to know Him and have life. One of the difficulties, I mentioned this to one of our members uh, yesterday, uh, just preparing for these messages, uh, when, we, when we at this church, as we preach through, typically we preach through a book of the Bible or, or through a passage of Scripture because it's important for us to know the whole counsel of the, of the Word of God. Um, but it is not fun to do it that way. I'll tell you that. Uh, today, the sermon title is just blatantly, Do Not Commit Adultery. That's the sermon title today, Do Not Commit Adultery. And so um, you can see how much fun we're going to have here in a few minutes. Uh, these are days like today. I'm like, I wish I had a topical sermon about how to have joy, and I could tell you that. Um, but today, as we look at this topic, uh, I will tell you that it is, it is very similar to some of the things that Shauna was just mentioning uh, about our culture and where we see our culture. And, and one of the things I, I, we, we saw uh, several months ago when we looked through the book of Revelation, uh, specifically the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, I talked about this, this drift that we see and, and these minor little little tiny course corrections that we make. Uh, and just understand and realize this, right, about the drift in culture. If we today make a small little adjustment in our thinking, in our philosophy, in our theology, in our morality, a small little change today, where do we end up 20 years from today? The answer is way, way, way off course. We're talking a ship sailing from Europe to America, right? Off course. Uh, that you hit a different continent. Off course. We may think, well, it's no big deal. It's just a little shift. We ought to accept this. It's just part of culture. It's natural. And what we end up doing is we go back to the Word of God and say, whoa, we got off somewhere. We got off track somewhere. So I, I'm sorry we can't just preach on happiness and joy today in a topical sermon. We are going to be in Matthew 5 and looking at four verses, 27 through 30, together. Uh, it is a difficult passage of Scripture, and next week's will be just as difficult as well. Uh, but we need, to, we need to pay attention to this drift that's happening, and, uh, because here's what happens. The, the culture, and we are tempted as believers to, to say, okay, it's okay, a little drift is okay, and we go along with the culture. But the culture is drifting and drifting and drifting, and when Jesus speaks, he drifts the opposite direction. So we're going to see that pretty blatantly today and clearly today, and I, and I hope as we do that we would hear from God, that we would love his word, that we would let it dwell in us richly, that we would let it teach us, let it be what we base our lives on and, and, and build the foundation of our lives upon and not something else. That is the goal and hope today. So let me, let me pray quickly and then we'll get into the word. Father, again, we come before you wanting our hearts to be opened, wanting our hearts to be challenged, God, wanting our, our ideas and our thoughts that may be off God, to be corrected. So God, help us to do that by your Spirit today. That your Spirit would convict us of sin, that we would move to a place of repentance and faithfulness and faith and obedience to you. We want what you want. God, we want to know you. We want to have our desires and our heart changed and challenged so that we would know you and want you above everything else. We offer this time to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at verses 27 through 30. We'll read that together and we'll break it apart. Jesus goes on. He says, You have heard that it is said, 
do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the Word of God. Two points today. And in these two points, these could probably be their own sermon series, so I am going to do my best to tackle both of these points well. And uh, there are plenty of passages of Scripture you can see at this bottom in the sermon notes. Look those up later. And I would encourage you on both of these points to go do some more thorough research because I, I didn't even exhaustively put all the verses down. All right? Do not commit adultery. Number one, instead, what, what should we do to not commit adultery? Number one is this. Guard the covenant of marriage. Guard the covenant of marriage. Uh, this world thinks very, very poorly of marriage. Our society, I mean, people aren't even getting married anymore. They're just cohabitating with whoever they want. Marriage is, is a beautiful, amazing thing created by God, and it's to be held in honor by every single person. But when Jesus says, you've heard that it said, do not commit adultery, what he is saying when he says adultery is that you are engaging in sexual intimacy with someone who is not your spouse. That's, that's very clear, just in do not commit adultery. So if we are to pause there, that, that is the gamut of any sexual sin. Well, you say, oh, I'm, I'm engaged. You're not married. Adultery is sexual intimacy with someone who is not your spouse. Who is not your spouse. And, and, and it's going to go a lot deeper here in a minute because Jesus goes on. What else does he say? He says, but I tell you. So it's not that he's taking that away. It's that, yes, do not commit adultery. The covenant of marriage is supreme and important and must be taken seriously and not lightly and must, be have, must have hard work put into it. But I tell you, he goes on to explain it a little more. So he's, he, what he's going to tell us next is what adultery is. Not just the definition of sexual intimacy with someone who's not your spouse. And everyone listening, oh yeah, we get that. We understand that. I, I will not do that. That act, that action is wrong. But he goes further, doesn't he? He says, but I tell you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a heart issue, isn't it? Just like we saw last week, and we've seen the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is wanting to grab our heart. So when we talk about adultery now, this, this sexual sin, I think too many of us say, well, I, we'll, we'll go with the culture on this. Uh, maybe we, we don't at this point. But a lot of the culture would say, well, it's, it's okay to look, just don't touch. It's okay to look. You know, we have thoughts, we have eyes, we see them. And what is Jesus' response to that? Gouge them out. Cut them off. Does he mean that? Does he, I mean, in the back of the lobby today, we'll have a bunch of knives set out and eye-gouging instruments, right? You can have at it. We'll, we'll see, what, what does he mean? He means that this is so important that you and I need to take it seriously, that, that a little glance here or a little thought there, it doesn't, it's no big deal. Jesus would say what? Yes, it is. So much so that you and I need to go to war against what is causing us to sin that way. It is a deep, deep issue. 
Pornography is a deep issue in this country. It, it is rampant. Just the statistics alone, I didn't bring it up today, but the statistics alone of, of how many males and females view, participate, look regularly at pornograph- pornographic material or just porn. Or, or, and then it goes in, of course, I love this stat, the number of pastors that do. Do you know that 30% of pastors have admitted that they have struggled with pornography in the last year? I, I, is it shocking, though? Is it shocking? Everywhere we turn, there is something that says sexual intimacy with someone that is not your spouse is okay. Sexual desire, anything that's provocative, that's what we should want. And, and you know, it's, it's a lie from Satan, and, and it's feeding something else inside of us. The, the God-given, created desire that we have for a spouse. There is a God-given desire for sexual intimacy. And I, and I know parents, are, you're like, man, I brought my kids today. Oh, man. You're going to have to have a conversation later. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you that right now. You're going to have to have a conversation later. God has, God created sex. Did you know that? Thank you, God, right? But if he created it, isn't it fair to say that he understands it better than you do and that he understands how it's to be, to be enjoyed better than you do and better than I do? Absolutely he does. He knows it way better than we do. And in fact, if you look around the world and the lie that they propagate every day, all day, every day, no wonder we should gouge our eyes out. It's, it's almost impossible to not see. But if we see that all day, every day, and it's saying, you should have this, you should have this, you should want this, this is, you deserve this, where does that end for us? It ends in shame, doesn't it? It ends in guilt. It ends in remorse. It ends in lies does that sound like a good place for us to be spiritually no how about emotionally no how about relationally with the person that's supposed to be our spouse is that a good place for us to be detached ashamed guilt-ridden burdened secretive lying is that 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 doesn't sound good to me why because god made sex God designed marriage, and God knows how it should operate, and the world is lying to you. The world is lying to you. The problem is this. We have been drifting on this boat for decades, nay, centuries, and we are at a place that, that is, we should be blushing every moment of every day, but we're not. So part of, part of this battle as we start to look through this text Part of this battle has to be you and I figuring out what it means to gouge out my eyes and to cut off my hands. What does it mean to put up boundaries and safeguards to stop watching, to stop viewing, to, to get away from those things the world says is okay and right? I, I've said this, I, I think I've said this many times from here. I've said it many, many times in conversations lately. Oh my gosh, commercials. I, I just, I, the other day, Again, you'll have to have a conversation with your kids. But they're seeing this, and you are too. We mute commercials at my house because I just don't want any of it there. And, and there was, there's a, a, a little puppet from a Disney movie called Pinocchio. And, and this puppet is, is it's muted on my screen. And it's like, oh, there's Pinocchio. And you see his nose grow. You see it, and it is, oh, and we had a conversation with our kids. Uh, someone was over, and we're like, well, what, 
do you know who, do you know Pinocchio and why, why his nose grows? And it's a great opportunity to have a conversation, isn't it? Don't lie. We tell our kids, don't, we shouldn't lie. This commercial was not about not telling lies. This was about men's erectile dysfunction. And, and Pinocchio was the player of the day. Are you telling me that I, my attention needs to be caught? Or are you trying to catch someone else's attention? This world is doing that. Do you understand this? Today, even as I approached this message, I feel it right now. I felt my heart getting riled up. Because I feel like we've been lied to so much and for so long, and we are blind to it. When Sean was talking about the importance of Christian education, it, the importance is really discipleship of our children. You know, we can. We can absolutely send our kids to be missionaries at, at school, at a public school, but they are a secular, secular school who, who they are teaching religion, not Christianity, but a secular religion. And they are getting that for six hours, eight hours a day without us. It is so important we disciple our kids because we are where we are today because of this drift. Now, you have, there are conversations, and I appreciate Shauna saying, that you, you, maybe it's not Mountain Scholars for you and your family, but there are conversations we had about how we help our children and how we disciple our children. The conversations I'm asking you and telling you you need to have with your children aren't because I said so, it's because God says so. You and I need to be, as parents, talking to our children about these things. What is right? What is wrong? What do we teach them? What do we allow our young men and young women to wear? What do we allow our young men and young women to see? How do we allow our young men and young women to treat one another? Those are conversations that must be had constantly. Constantly. The problem is for you and I, maybe our adults, those conversations weren't had. And now we are where we are. And we're stuck. What do we do? Well, Jesus says this. Do not commit adultery. And that includes do not look lustfully at somebody. Because that is adultery in your heart. I want to establish marriage for a moment. Because this, this point is what? Guard the covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage is to be guarded. A couple of things from Genesis 1. We see God's design. He said, let us make man in our image. And he made them. He created them in God's image. He created them male and female. God's design is male and female. God's design is male and female in marriage. One man, one woman, married forever. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have families, pass on this heritage. In Genesis 2, uh, it talked about this, this, the wedding, the first wedding. He saw that Adam needed a spouse, a helpmate, a companion, an equal, because the animals weren't. So he, he put Adam to sleep, and what did he do? He took a rib out of Adam, right? And he fashioned a woman. And it says, the Lord God took the, made the rib, and took the, uh, he took from the man, and he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. The father walked her down the aisle. First wedding. He brought her to the man, and the man said, this, this one, this one is last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is why, here's the design, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. What do we need to understand about this? Is that, that God designed us to be one flesh with one another in the bond of marriage. And that we leave our father and mother. We leave and we cling to a spouse. And, and sexual intimacy produces oneness in a marriage. And sexual intimacy outside of that marriage does not produce oneness within that marriage. Lust 
addiction to pornography or, or provocative things uh, that, that does not produce oneness in your marriage. So what is God's design? It's, it's male and female, one man, one woman married together, and they were created in His image to be image bearers of Him. The, the other design is that they would leave and cleave. They would, they would leave and they would bond and be united as one flesh together. Jesus says it in Matthew 19. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two will be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is the doing of God and the work of God. And God sustains marriage as we humbly and passionately pursue our spouse by God's good grace. And it takes work, doesn't it? It takes constant work. It takes a ton of work for two self-centered individuals to come together and to be one. But it is worth it in every way because what the world offers is only death and only destruction. And you might say, well, the argument might still be that it's okay to just look, uh, you know, in, or, or it's okay to, to look and act on those urges we have. They're just natural urges. It's just a physical thing, Brandon. It's follow the science. And I, I agree, but science goes further than just the physical. It goes into the spiritual and the emotional and what it does to our body. Paul writes about this. He says there's still a design in marriage for sexuality. He says flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run away from it. So if you think... Well, it's just natural. I have these urges. My wife understands. My spouse, under, my husband understands. It's no big deal. I'm not even married. I'll do whatever I want with whoever I want. It's just physical. It doesn't mean anything. You would be wrong. And, and scientifically, you might think that's correct. But every emotional like, break and, and separation and ripping apart that you have had to do in your life because of the adultery you have committed would prove otherwise. That it's, it's not just okay. It is wrong. Paul says, flee. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So therefore, glorify God with your body. We're to glorify God with our body. Our bodies aren't our own. They were bought at a price. The price was the Lord Jesus dying on a cross for your sin so you could be whole. Not so you could be one with 300 or one with three or one with 10. One with one. That's what God's intention is. One with one. The writer of Hebrews says, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. It's very, very important. Jesus says, he says, it's not just about the physical act, right? Because we go back to that. Uh, well, you, it's okay. It's okay to look. We all have eyes. Can't help but look. I mean, what, what Brandon? Do you want me just to go walk around blind downtown? That's, this is not the kind of lust that Jesus is talking about. If we look at this word, uh, if we look at this, the Greek form is a, is a present part of participle, and it refers to the continual process of looking. So lust is not, man, I noticed someone's wearing something provocative. It's definitely her fault. That's not what this is. Lust is you and I not having self-control, whether you're male or female, by the way. This goes each direction. And you are 
you're referring not just to an incidental or involuntary glance or noticing, but the intentional and voluntary and repeating gaze in order to fulfill a sensual desire within you. That's what, that's what lust means. That's what he means to lust. Do we notice? I, I tell you what, it got warm here the last couple of days. Right? And I've, I've had in my mind, my heart, notice that there are women in our community who aren't, don't love Jesus and aren't going to try and love me, and, and they want to show whatever they have. I, I'm not going to go tell them how bad they are. That's not because most of them don't know Jesus. I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to avert my eyes. I'm going to gouge out my eyes. I'm going to desire something different, something better. I'm going to desire the Lord Jesus. I'm going to desire my wife. That's what I'm going to desire. Is it difficult? Absolutely. We're called to live in the world, but not be of the world. We're not called to not live in the world, though. We still live in the world. By the way, it's, it's not the lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but it's the sin in the heart that causes the lustful looking. So when we start talking about, okay, now, how do we remedy this? Can a blind person lust? Yes. The answer is yes. They have thoughts still, and they can go wherever they want with those thoughts. So it, it, the response is not to gouge out her eyes. Alice, should we take those tools out of the lobby and make sure no one gets any of those afterwards? I would have been here blind today otherwise, right? A popular proverb says this, if you sow a thought, you reap an act. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. No matter where sin ends, sin always begins with the evil thought in the mind and in the heart. So we, you and I, as we are called to do not commit adultery, and, and, and that is also lust involved, we are called to honor marriage, to honor the covenant of marriage, to esteem that. And, it, and you and I can esteem that as married people. And for those of you who are single people, you still need to esteem that. And that every relationship you have and every person you look at is not your spouse. So sexual intimacy, sexual desires, lustful looking, is adultery in that case. So I, I've loved this verse for so long. Job chapter 31, verse 1. And actually the CSB kind of says it differently. I'll just say it how I have memorized it. Job says this, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. That is a life verse for me as a male living in America. I, 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 that's my covenant. I covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. So listen, as you and I approach this and look at this passage of Scripture, and Jesus says, don't commit adultery, and by the way, lust is adultery, we are faced with the, 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 necess the necessity of guarding the covenant of marriage. And here's what I know about that. It's very difficult to do that. As a married man, I understand that there are difficulties with that. We are two different people that are one flesh. There's different wants, different desires, different needs, different, different moods, different seasons in life. And I don't know where you are in yours today. I don't know what's going on in your relationship with your spouse today. I don't know how far away from each other you are or how close you are today, but the Lord does. And his mandate is this, do not commit adultery. His mandate is this, do not lust after someone else. His mandate is this, do not engage in sexual intimacy in thought or in deed with someone who is not your spouse. The covenant of marriage is to be held in esteem. 
So here's my encouragement to you. If you are struggling, say, I'm struggling. We are struggling. And seek help. Listen, every elder at our church, every Bible study leader, every ministry leader at our church would say, marriage is amazing. It's hard, but it's amazing, and it's important. And, and, and we are all willing to come alongside of broken families, of hurting marriages. Why? Because we know that lust, we know that adultery, we know that our attention wandering somewhere else leads in destruction. Uh, I only said it here, uh, it was at Amy Riddlesbury at the, at the Mountain Scholars graduation, a, a quote that her husband gave, and I love it. We think, man, the grass is withered here. It is back, and the grass is definitely what? Greener over there. But the truth of it is this. The grass is only green where it's watered, where it's nurtured. And if you need to do that for your marriage, well, you, know, you do need to do that for your marriage. If you're lacking on some fertilizer, come talk to us. Come, come check in with us about that. To be held in honor. Number two. Do not commit adultery, but guard your heart. Guard your heart. I, I hope we've started to indicate already that this is a heart issue. Amen? This is not just an action issue. This is a heart issue. It's not just an eyeball issue. It's not just a hands issue. It is a heart issue. We look at this passage here, verses 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole of your body to be thrown into hell. This is a big, again, this is a big deal to Jesus and should be a big deal to us. Uh, one of the commentators I read as we looked at this, the eyeball and the hands, what, what does that mean if it's not real? To cut it? Here's what it means. that when we, when we are acting in our own sensual desires through our eyes and with our hands, that we are we are causing lust and lustful sexual desires to happen within our eye. That's with the eyeball. And the hands, it's interesting how they, we think, oh yeah, we use our hands you know, to commit acts of sin. But we are actually, this commentator said, we are actually, with our hands, stealing something that is not ours. We are taking something away that is not ours and does not belong to us because we are not married to that person. Whether it's by your eyeballs or, or not, you are stealing, you're robbing. Not only that person, but you're robbing your spouse or your future spouse, and you're robbing yourself, and you're cheating God and dishonoring God. It's a matter of the heart, not just the eye or the hand. Jeremiah 17:9. Here's the bad news: the heart is more deceitful than anything else, and it's incurable. Who can understand it? See, and this is this is something to think about when when the Bible or when we say, like, well, just just follow your heart. It's okay. Just follow your heart. Your, your heart will lead you the right way. Is that true? I don't think so. I mean, I've gotten a lot of trouble just following my heart. A lot of people got hurt by doing that. And Scripture says, my heart's lying to me. Right? There's, there's a battle going on in my heart. I used this passage last week in Mark 7. He said, what, Jesus said this, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, uh, for from within, out of the people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil, uh, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within a person, and that's what defiles them. This, and this comes down to not only about the heart, 
but it's about what we desire. So I, at this last part of the message, I really want to at least give a cursory overview of how to, how to be helpful to this. Because you're like, I just can't help it. Well, I, I get it. I understand that we are wired in a certain way. But the, the culture has rewired us. Can I get an amen? And for us to get unwired and rewired back, it's going to take some work on our behalf. For some of us, it might mean gouging out the eyes by canceling your subscriptions to what you're streaming or canceling your subscriptions to what you're getting in your mailbox or in your email or deleting your account. It may be unfollowing the people you follow on Instagram or Twitter or Faceworld. Get off of that because all it is is leading to destruction. Gouge out your eyes by getting rid of that. I, I, would, I would argue don't gouge your eyes out. Just get rid of that. It's all over. It's everywhere. I, I, have, I seriously I haven't even like made this conviction known to my wife yet. Who's probably listening in the nursery? Hi, honey. But I, I am going to up my subscription level on on all of my platforms so I don't have commercials. I'm done. I'm done with Pinocchio even being muted. I'm done. I I am done. I wanted. I, I've so many times wanted to sit there with not only a mute button with a blackout button. Just stop showing this stuff. I don't want it seen. I don't want. I don't want to see it. And I certainly don't want my kids to see it, but I don't want to see it. I want something different there. Or turn off the TV and go outside and play with someone that's your spouse. Sorry. Be clear there, yeah. It's about desires. James says this, James 1, no one undergoing a trial should say, and this is a trial, right? I'm being tempted by God. And because since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone, like, God, why are you putting this in my path? Why are you doing this to me? He's not. But, James says, each person, that's you and me, each person, you and me, is tempted when he or she is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. It's a desire thing. Why do I struggle with temptation? Because I desire what Satan says it will give me. I desire it. And, and so how do we get over that desire? Any, any thoughts? Just how do you overcome that desire? Read the Word. That's practical, good, good preaching advice. Read the Word. How do you get, but how do you overcome that desire? Okay, you, you take thoughts captive. Memorize Scripture. This is good. We're going towards some good things. What? Have a plan. Get a plan. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to flee? How am I going to run? How am I going to guard myself? But at the end of the day, think about the drug trade, right? The drug trade, the drug world. We're, we're at a war on drugs. Where should the real war be? For that. Right? Kids want drugs, and people want drugs. As long as people want drugs, there's going to be drugs to get. And there's going to be a war on drugs. The war is not on drugs. The war is not on porn. The war is not the war is on the heart. The war is on what the heart desires. And, and, and here's, here's the hard part, but this is what this is what scripturally speaking is called progressive sanctification. Every day I want to put myself in a place, put myself in circumstances, put myself in the word, put myself with people, put myself in worship. Put, I want to put myself every day in a place that the affections of my heart and the desires of my heart grow more and more in love with Jesus and less and less in love with the world. And listen, the world has, has no problem. It's everywhere all the time. You don't have to put yourself in front of it. It puts itself in front of you. 
So there is a war for the desire of your heart. And that war is a battle that you have to fight and that I have to fight every single day, whether it's turning off my TV, turning off my social media, getting in the Word. I have to put more of Jesus in me, more of the Word of God in me. And, and listen, it's not just like, well, it's, it's better to be more versed in the Bible than it is in the world. It is this. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for the same sin we're talking about, the same adultery that you've committed over and over, that I've committed over and over in my heart. He died for that. And he said, I can make you whole and I can give you rest and I will forgive you. Come to me and find rest. Doesn't that sound more satisfying than what porn offers or what adultery offers? Absolutely, because that will never give you rest. In fact, Jesus says it's going to land you in hell. That's how serious this is. It's going to land you in hell. It leads to destruction. How many marriages are destroyed because of adultery? Probably most destroyed marriages were because of adultery in some way. And, it, and it, you might think, well, they didn't commit adultery. No, Jesus said they did, right? Not one of us in this room is not guilty or is, is innocent, right? Is, yeah, not guilty of committing adultery. Not one of us. We have all lusted, sexually desired, someone of the opposite sex that is not our spouse. We're all guilty. But there's forgiveness. There's, there's love offered. There's hope offered. There's peace that is offered through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a new heart. You know, it's, it's about changing the desires of the heart, isn't it? We have to understand the root of the problem does not lie within the eyes, does not lie within the hands, it's in the heart. And the eyes can certainly entice the heart, right? But you can still have lust in your heart without your eyes. So the key to victory is not a mutilated eye or not amputated hands. It is a renovated, renewed heart. A heart that is, is gained first through faith in Jesus Christ and then is sanctified as we grow in him. Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God unless you are born again. You have to be born again. That seems interesting. And what did he respond? He's like, how can someone be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb? Again, this is a flesh thought. Like, oh, I, it's just flesh and blood stuff going on here. That's not what it is. Jesus is like, no, no, it's not about flesh and blood. It's about the heart. It's about the spirit of the heart. It's about God's spirit convicting you of sin and, and that you realize who you are and, and in desperate need for a Savior that is Jesus Christ. John, and you can read this at home more, John 3, 3 through 8 and 16 through 21. But, but later on in, in John 3, says this, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The truth of God, the beauty of God, Jesus Christ has come into the world. The light is there. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why do we sin? Because we love darkness. Why do we sin? Because your hard, your hard heart, your desires. So let God change your heart. Come to faith in Him and say, God, I, I need a new heart. I need, I need my desires and my affections to increase on you and, and decrease from the world around me. Change me. Forgive me. Make me new. There is a battle raging. The Spirit of God against the flesh, and the flesh is weak. But we are to live by the Spirit of God from a heart that is changed, a heart that is yielded to God. We need a new heart. Next, we, we, need, we need to know God and have His truth within us. Jeremiah, he says this. Instead, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days 
I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. Oh, I need that. God, I need more of your teaching written on my heart. I need more of your word and your truth there. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That's the Lord. That's the God that wants to get a hold of us. That's the God that is worthy to be praised. That's the God that, that is writing this truth on our hearts. And as we yield to Him, it grows within us so that we can love Him more faithfully. We need a new heart. We need to have, know Him and have His truth within us. And we need to stop living to honor ourselves, our own desires. Hoyt read a passage this morning, Deuteronomy 10, this verse 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. This is who God is. He is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He is the one worthy of our admiration, our respect. And, and what he's calling us to do is, is stop being stiff-necked and clean your heart, renovate your heart, set your heart apart. It's about having a heart change. I said earlier, it's not about the eyes, right? It's not about the eyes and the hands. It is about the eyes and hands. But it's first about the heart because that's what we're really talking about. So now let's just shift gears for the last couple minutes and, and talk about the heart or the eyes and the hands and how it, refle- ref- uh, how it goes with this, with the heart. John, First uh, John 2. So the question is this, what do we do? If, if Alisher has removed the cutting agents out of the lobby and we are no longer able to gouge our eyes out out there, what do we do? What are the proactive things? And there's several proactive things in these last passages I'm going to highlight as we go. Here's the first one. First John says this in, in chapter 2. Do not love the world. These are proactive things for our eyes and for our hands that will help our heart. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, here's, here's what we're not to love, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world, with its lusts, is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So, what's proactive? Don't love the world. Don't succumb to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't love the world. Instead, love the Father and do His will. 2 Timothy 2, 22, another favorite verse of mine. What's proactive? What do we do with our eyes and our hands? Flee from youthful passions. It is not saying... Hey, you who are young, run away. It's saying you, everybody, you and I all, doesn't matter what age, we all have youthful passions, the desires in our heart. Flee from youthful passions. And so what's, what else is proactive about this? Not just run away, but then run to something. It says pursue and pursue then righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Right? Our desire should be a pure heart, right? So what does it say to do? Run away from the world. Run away from the things that are in our hearts that are our, our youthful lust. Run away from those things and pursue, run to love, peace, righteousness, along with people that are like-minded. So it's so important to be here, but it's so important as you head out into the world that you continually run away and run to a family that will have your back. Run to a community, a, a small group, a discipleship, a mentor that will have your back and can pray for you, can encourage you, can support you, and, and, and help you develop a pure heart. That's another proactive thing to do. Again, this is about the change of our desires. 
If we're struggling with habitual sin, it's because at the depth and core of our heart, we desire it more than we desire God. So part of what our proactive thing should be is going back to learn about who God is and what God has done for us. I love the psalmist in 121. It says this, and there's a proactive part. I lift my eyes. What do we do with our eyes? We lift them. We lift our eyes. For you thinking out there, what do I do with my eyes, Brandon, in real time? You don't double take. You don't have the eye bounce thing where you're like, let me check this out longer. Again, Jesus is talking about habitual, wanton desire with the eyes. He's not talking about, I noticed there was a pretty person there, and I, no, of course we notice. God made pretty people. We notice and we look away. We notice and we lift our eyes. I lift my eyes towards the mountain. Where does my help come from? Lift your eyes. Why? Because there's help there. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not sleep or slumber. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day, the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. He'll protect your comings and your going, both now and forever. He is our protection. What do you do with your eyes? Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Paul would write in Galatians, he says, here's the proactive part. Walk by the Spirit. You who have come to faith in Christ have the Spirit of God inside you. That Spirit is now at, at war with the flesh, the old nature. And what does Paul say? Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's a whole passage in Galatians 5 you can look at there. Philippians 4, Paul writes this. He says, what's proactive? Don't worry. Quit worrying. I, I have talked to so many folks, and I, and I get it. I, I want to be married. I want to have a companion. I, I, my husband died, or I got divorced young, and I, I just companionship, companion. Yes, I get that. Don't worry. First, I'll tell you this to you singles. Jesus desperately, jealously wants to be your one and only. First. And if you cannot be satisfied in Christ alone, then you, no man or woman will ever satisfy you. Guaranteed. Be satisfied in him first, and then don't worry. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Don't worry. Get, let, let your request be made known to God. Pray to God. And he says, then you, the peace of Christ will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't worry. He goes on, and I love this next part, <clears throat> for our eyes. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of moral excellence, if anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. What most of us watch on TV or YouTube or social media are not those things. They are not pure. They're not true. They're not honorable. They're not just. They're not lovely. They're not commendable. There's no moral excellence. There's not much that's praiseworthy. He says, well, what, how do you be proactive? How do you, how do you take care of this heart problem and change your desires? dwell on the lovely and then he goes on he says in verse 9 then and do this do what you have learned and received and heard from me and from seeing in me do those things so you and i all need someone ahead of us in the game that we're following behind like hey, that person loves jesus it looks like more than i do and i want to do what they're doing find that person and chase after them and do what they are doing follow them as they follow christ and then paul says the god of peace will be with you we need that, right? In this, in this world of, of just moral shift and moral decay, with this everywhere, 
I, I just want some peace. I want to be able just to breathe on my own. I, I need that. That's proactive, right? Another thing I want to say that's proactive, and, and this, this is, <laughs> this will get me in trouble. I, I said earlier, it's our responsibility with our heart, right? It's our, when I go downtown and it's summertime and there are people who don't even know Jesus around, dressed however they want to dress, it's my responsibility how I treat them with my eyes. It's my responsibility in my heart of, of what I do and if I objectify them or, or essentially desire them with my mind and my heart. It's my responsibility. But as a, as a man, as a brother in Christ to my sisters who are in this room, now that you know that adultery is not just a physical act but a mental and emotional one, please do whatever you can to help a brother out. Please do whatever you can to help a brother out. I, it, I will be on guard every single day of my life. I want, I want to be as safe as I can around you. Because you deserve to be treated safely and with respect. And I want as best I know how to do that. Now, that goes for men as well. It may not be how you dress, but it may be what you joke about. It may be your nonchalantness or whatever it is that, that you need to cut it out. Quit the jokes. Quit the sexual degrading. The, uh, what's that? We need to shut our mouth, right? It, it's so important for us to get this that we spiral with the culture when we start to do that. And, and here's what has happened. Through our actions and our attitudes regarding the subject, we have, we have turned women who God has given as a, as a companion and equal to a man in a marriage, we have turned women into objects to be used instead of people to be cherished and loved. And, and the more a woman feels like she's, she will have to be an object in order to get any love and attention, she will become the object. And then it makes a man feel like, well, I just need an object and not an actual woman to love and honor and cherish and lead and guide and serve. It is our responsibility, especially in the church, to hold to the fact that we, we are at a higher and a better bar, a different level. We are to hold something that is, that is precious about marriage and precious about sexuality and precious about a relationship with a spouse and with a brother or sister in Christ. Be precious. Final passage. Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. Cursed. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. You see what happens? When we trust in mankind, when we say, oh, they're not, they're not drifting that far, or they, they don't really have ill intentions about this, just mute your commercials and I tell you differently. They do have ill intentions. Do not trust in mankind. Cursed is a person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength. That's not, and, and, and his heart, then what? Turns from the Lord. I thought, don't we want our desires to change? Don't we want our affections to increase in the Lord? Then, then our heart has to turn to the Lord, not from the Lord. So don't trust in mankind. Don't drift. He goes on, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its root outward or out toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. We, we ought to be a people that are 
are so well rooted in Christ, so well planted in Christ, so well nourished and satisfied in Christ that the desires and delight of our heart is in Christ that we are producing a fruit in season, out of season, in drought, when there's heat, when there's not, that there is something special and unique about us because we do not commit adultery. Because we guard our heart and we guard the covenant of marriage. So where is your hope? Where is your peace? Where is your delight? Where is your faith? Is it in the world? Or is it in the Lord? And if it is in the world, will it be in the Lord today? I I pray that it will. Let's stand together and pray. Father, today as we move into a time now of worship, I, I, I pray that we have been instructed by your word, that we have been challenged by it. God, I, I know this has been uncomfortable. But God, I, I pray that it's been fruitful. I pray that it's been freeing for, for those of us who, God, who want our desires to change and our delight to be in the Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to delight in you. Help us to put the tools in place, and the, God, that we would have you ever in front of us, that we would lift our eyes and lift our hearts to you, lift our hands to you. We would be all yours, and you would change and challenge the desires in our heart and our affections would increase for you alone. God, may, may we as Christ followers be the example of this. God, following the example of Christ and his bride, God, we're so grateful that even though we continually commit adultery on you and cheat on you and, and drag you through the mud, you continually love us and pursue us and forgive us. God, may that be how we treat our marriages, God, in a way that is loving and in and, and a covenant love. Give us the strength we need to endure Give us the fortitude we need to fight, to challenge ourselves and our desires, to challenge and go to war against the sin in our lives and put safeguards around us. God, as we lift our eyes to you, our protector, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.